Hello, everyone. You're listening to Angel Nears, the podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where experienced operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Caitlin Christine, founder and CEO of Gabby, the AI-driven app that empowers women to understand their bodies and proactively seek the care they need. Today, we're going to talk with Caitlin about her journey championing patient empowerment, the lessons she's learned, and the advice she has for others building industry disrupting technology. Uh, before we get into that, Caitlin, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Oleg and Oleg. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we uh, we really told the li- we made this public oh. to the listeners, but we are uh, we are O squared. Um, I, I I don't know that. The, that we've sort of mentioned that on the podcast before, but uh, yeah, powered by Oleg and Sorry Oleg. Sorry if I blew it. <laughs> yeah, you blew our cover, but that's okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself to get us started. Yeah, how'd you get your start and uh, what's your mission here at Gabby? Yeah, so um, at Gabby, we're on a mission to decrease delayed diagnosis and we're starting with breast cancer. I came into this really out of a personal need and personal experience. So in 2012, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer at the end of the year, and she ended up passing only seven months later because of a delay in diagnosis. Yeah. Thank you. And she was only 55 years old um, and was given really the wrong treatment because they didn't know certain things when she could have gotten different surgeries or interventions earlier. Mm. And shortly after she passed, I started exhibiting similar symptoms. I found two lumps in both my breasts and I was only in my early 20s. So when I went to my OBGYN, she was like, oh, you're so young. You don't need to worry about it. And I really just had to fight to finally get a physician to take me seriously to get a, a, you know, breast mammogram. And once I did they were concerned. One thing led to another, and I made the unpopular decision to have a preventative double mastectomy, removing all my breast tissue. And in surgery, they diagnosed me with breast cancer, and I was only 24. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what first led me into healthcare. And I spent eight years in women's health, And then as I was working with the C-suite executives in health systems to help them set up high-risk protocols and processes for screening patients for hereditary cancer syndromes, Mm -hmm. I realized that what happened to my mom and the experience I had was not just a one-off incident, but I was seeing this every day and there was a systemic problem and I wanted to figure out how to solve it. So that's really where Gabby was born. Yeah, wow. You know, super personal uh, kind of story and, and, and reason for starting the company. So, wow, thanks for sharing. Yeah, tell us more about Gabby. And uh, yeah, when did, so, so the, this story started in 2012. When did you start Gabby? And, and sort of what's the, you gave us the impetus for the idea, but maybe what's the elevator pitch for, uh, for the company? Yeah, sure. So uh, I formed the company in 2019. But it wasn't really until 2020 that the business model was clear and how we were going to solve that problem was clear. So um, we have created the most inclusive and most accurate model that can predict a woman's 
two-year risk of breast cancer so that we're able to identify her at the earliest possible stages when it's most life-saving and cheapest and get her the care that she needs. So we are selling to the payers um, or known as the health insurance companies And they want to use us because we can save them millions of dollars annually in cutting their costs and decreasing the time to care. So this kind of falls under uh, this bucket of femtech. Can you kind of unpack what that term means for me? Sure. Um, It's interesting. I was recently on another podcast and they asked me, you know, what does femtech mean to you? And I think... Mm -hmm. Most people all have their own definition, but for me, it's really around a problem that only women have and a solution that specifically solves that problem. So, you know, for us, it's obviously around breast cancer, but Femtech can be anything from specifics in women's health or femtech is also considered items that don't fall under the health journey. So whether that's parenting and being a mother, whether that's the workplace and the work from home environment and how it's different for a woman versus a man, it really is just everything that's very specific to women mm-hmm. is how I think about it. Yeah. And like, I guess the, the follow up question that makes sense is like, how long has this been kind of a thing in the lexicon? <laughs> like how long, you know, you've been kind of at this, been involved in this kind of problem since, you know, for almost a decade, since 2012. How long has this idea of femtech even been around? Uh, that's a good question. And I don't really know the answer in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, when was the first time it was used and coined? And when did adoption come from it? I don't know, but I do know that at least in the last five years, it is rapidly increasing, not only from knowledge and use of the term, but from acknowledgement and recognition of the need of the market of the response. Right. Yeah. Can can you unpack that? What is what is the need? Why uh, why is it in the last five years that this has sort of been popularized? Well, I think. I mean, again, I am by no means an expert on why and how femtech came to be, but <laughs> it's. I I think it's a, a multitude of factors. Whether that's from the Me Too movement, whether that's from. BLM movement, whether that's from COVID, whether that's from a multitude of factors, is women have very specific and different needs than men. And finally, women advocating for those needs and that they want them addressed specifically. So from everything to the acknowledgement, both internally And in society that we are often overlooked, whether it's by a physician or by our boss, that, you know, the pay gap, et cetera. I think it's a a combination of all those factors and why it continues to gain traction as more and more people are realizing, yeah, this is a thing. And, you know, everything from employee retention by having femtech solutions for your employees mm-hmm. to 
your own personal use of just wanting something that's more specific to you that you identify with. I think it's, yeah, it's a variety of factors. Yeah. And not to ask the obvious question, but like, why do you think this is important today? You kind of addressed it and it's clearly like a personal topic that you, you've experienced in your personal life. But, but why do you think, why do you think this is like a good thing in, in 2021 to get behind or talk about? Yeah, it's one of the fastest growing market segments for sure. And with the general kind of working age for women being between 21 and 49 also are the most impressionable women. And as we are taking up the workforce, now employers more than ever are struggling to retain their employees, especially when you add on COVID and the work from home. And we know that employers are having to become more and more competitive in how they take care of their employees. So women who are not getting their needs met as an employee, as a mom, as a woman, as a colleague, they're not going to stay at your company. So, I mean, I would just say, I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing more female CEOs, we're seeing more female founders, uh, we're seeing more female executives and more companies that are focused around women. So it's really like, if if you're not on the bus, you better get on the bus because it's basically left the station. Yeah. So you kind of alluded to like why we should, why why we should care. And that all made a lot of sense. What are some of the challenges like you face in this industry, in this femtech industry uh, at, at Gabby? I think it's a lot of the same things that women face in terms of challenges just in any other industry and or society. So whether that's the pay gap, whether that's being taken seriously, whether that's having to provide more data and information to back up a statement. I know personally for me, when raising capital, I knew that if I was pitching to men, I was going to get way more kind of general questions and a lot that would then dive very, very deep that are irrelevant for the stage in which I was raising capital. I remember being at an investor dinner. I did not know going into this that I was going to be the only woman. I'm sitting there. All of these investors are not only investors, but they're previous founders. So I'm the youngest and only female and only just founder. I'm not an investor. And I see this conversation across for me of these two gentlemen. He talks about how he's created, you know, he just left his last startup. You know, they got acquired. He's starting a new one. It's around grilling, something to do with a grill. And I couldn't even tell you the value proposition around it, but it has to do with grill. And the guy next to him was like, oh, cool. Okay. So like, you know, have you raised funding? What are you thinking? Where's the product at? doesn't even have a product, clearly just an idea. And right across there in that very simple short exchange, they do a handshake deal. And he's like, yeah, count me in for 100K. 
Now, so that's that situation. Basically, no validation whatsoever in what's going on, other than the fact that he previously founded a company. So then I share about what I'm doing. And the gentleman who is asking all these questions is like, oh my gosh, is this about hereditary cancer mutations? And I said, well, that was my experience. That's not our specific market. And he goes, everyone at the table, listen, this is a huge need. My mom has a BRCA mutation and I haven't gotten tested, but you know, I know I have a risk. So basically leaning in has this incredibly personal tie. I tell him about it, the business model. And then he goes, why don't you send me your deck and I'll look it over and you know, let's talk more. And I was like, Hey, so what exactly was missing here from what I just shared with you that you have a personal connection with that was not missing from the grill guy. And he's like, well, you know, I just want to understand your financials and a little bit more about the business model. And so that is the example I would give. Yeah, that's uh, it's like, what's what's there to say? It's like you're measuring yeah. like two different rubrics or something. Totally. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, you mentioned the, the, the market. Uh, how competitive is uh, your addressable market segment today? Yeah. So the way we're starting out with breast cancer specifically, we don't have a ton of competition. So one, there are existing risk models out there. They don't use artificial intelligence. They use some statistical models, but they're only used in clinical settings. So part of our innovation is that we're taking it away from the clinical setting and putting it in the hands of the consumer. So really our greatest competitors are the existing models today, but they're not moving to the consumer and we're way more accurate and way more inclusive. So I hate to say we don't have competitors, but especially no investor likes to hear that you don't have competitors, but as it, as it stands, we are by and large a lot greater and poised to have a lot more impact than any of these existing models that are only used in academic institutions. Can you Talk more about that. It's kind of a new idea for me. So you're delivering AI-powered models to consumers. Can you tell, like, what does that mean? Yeah, sure. So it's twofold. So the first part is using our AI model in data. So in claims data. And that's where we're able to identify these members. The second part is that we're taking this model, this AI model, and we are we have a consumer-facing app that now a woman can assess her own risk, learn about it. We're able to continue and improve our assessments, make the recommendations and engage her to follow along a specific plan to get, to get care, to take action as early as possible. So today, these risk models are only used by physicians Maybe they'll tell the patient, hey, you have a 30% lifetime risk of breast cancer. And then the physician is responsible for putting a plan in action. That's best case scenario. Instead, we are learning who has risk, identifying who has risk, reaching the patient where they're at, and helping guide them through that journey, equipping them to advocate for themselves and take action outside of having to defer to their physician for everything. And talk about this future of femtech, right? It's It's been introduced in the very early stages. Gabby is focused on breast cancer, but I'm sure you 
have some kind of plans to you know, expand that. Um, what, what do you think the future of this industry is? Yeah. So for Gabby specifically, we see, uh, you know, we're, we're entering the market with breast cancer, but we see the low hanging fruit as other preventable cancers and really ovarian cancer is the holy grail because it's the deadliest gynecologic disease and there's really no accurate way to predict or assess someone's risk for ovarian cancer today. Got it. Well, let's keep talking about Gabby. So, you know, you said you started the company in, in 2019. Can you just tell me the journey from 2019 to today? Like, how did how, how did that go? Like, you started the company, you, know, you brought people in. How did it start? And what does it look like today? Oh, man, what a journey it's been. <laughs> so there was a whole period of just R&D trying to figure it out, which was fun and exciting. And I was excited and getting other people excited. And I think I probably actually, I can tell you for sure that I told people that I had a company, even though I didn't yet, because, you know, like you, you, what you think about, you bring about and talking about it as if it's happening and happened. And so I was very much stepping into that realm. But the reality is I was a one woman show who was still trying to figure it out. And, and slowly I started figuring it out. So the journey was, I think it was really hard to figure out who to trust, who I could rely on, and whose feedback to take. So for example, early on, many people told me I should start raising capital from angel investors, from venture capitalists, et cetera. And I had no idea what that meant. I had never been in the startup world. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So I start going down that path, thinking about it and wasting time meeting all these investors before I was even ready. And then finally realizing, wait, hold on. Is this even a path I want to go down? Am I ready? No. And then taking a step back to reevaluate and figure out what the path is that I want to go down and do we want to raise money, et cetera. And what is our business model? So then after it was figuring out what we wanted to do, it was getting the people to help me because I'm not an engineer. And that was probably early on the biggest pain point was knowing we needed to have a tech solution and not knowing how to build it, not wanting to go drop, you know, half a million dollars to build web and mobile app. So a lot of amazing people connected to the mission and just came on to help for a season that I'm so grateful for. And each each person and each part of that journey, we learned something more and pivoted and developed a business model and pivoted that business model. And it really wasn't until really around the beginning of the pandemic to middle of last year that things started really making sense and moving in terms of solidifying the business model, solidifying the product, et cetera. And then it was in the fall winter of last year. So like October, November, 2020, that the team that could take this forward to raise money, to build a product started developing. And then in January of this year, 
uh, we received our first official investment and, and then things just started to take off. Really cool. Definitely like a pulled them up by their own bootstraps kind of story. And uh, I know you're kind of laughing about it at the beginning, but just like thinking about having the company and kind of manifesting it. That sounds like exactly what you did. You know, you went to those meetings, you talked about raising capital, you talked about having a company and then boom, it's 2021 and you have a company. So it's been a long journey uh, to to get to today. Talk about the team today. Who who are the people behind Gabby uh, as it stands right now? Yeah. So um, I'm the CEO, obviously. And then um, we have our chief AI officer is Amr Inam. And he was previously um, the VP of artificial intelligence at places like Nike and Cambia Health Insurance. And then Meg Dreyer is our chief consumer experience officer. She was the senior VP of consumer experience also at Nike and was one of the early employees at IDO. And then Ashmitha Rajendran is our fabulous biomedical data scientist who really um, is the magic behind the model. And she was previously at the Knight Cancer Institute at Oregon Health and Science University. And then Mark Prasad is in charge of product. And he was formerly at Moonshot.io. Yeah, I think I've heard of them on this podcast, actually. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Cool. So you kind of already talked uh, about the, you know, the innovation of your company. It's this kind of AI driven model. Yeah. How do you help women understand their bodies better? Sure. So I think to answer the first part, the, um, you know, essence of the innovation or secret sauce, if you will, is around three things, inclusivity, accuracy, and approach. So these existing risk models that really no one knows about, I only knew about them because I use them every day in my corporate career in cancer genetics. So I was really familiar with them. And talk about, you know, like founder market fit, not only with my story, but then my background working with this. I just believed that there had to be a better way for more women to understand their risks. Because as I was talking to all these people, as I was doing focus groups and surveys, no one knew what their risks were and everyone wanted to know. And I knew that there were these risk models But you had to go to a physician who knew about these risk models to ask them to use this risk model and you to find out. So um, that's the first part is the approach. And that's really where the making it consumer facing came in. The second aspect of the existing risk models is that they're really only appropriate for women who are over the age of 35 and who are white. So that was kind of a no brainer, especially because I had this gut feeling, this intuition that there were so many more women who were being diagnosed with breast cancer and were under 50, but it wasn't being talked about. You know, when you, even as a woman, you go and talk to your OBGYN or your primary care provider, they'll tell you, you don't have to worry about getting maybe your first mammogram until you're 45 or 50. And there's even some discrepancy on what they'll tell you in terms of age. But my mom got diagnosed for the first time under 50. I certainly got diagnosed under 50. 
And in my everyday career, I was working with all these women who were under 50. So I just had to believe that there were more women than was being talked about. And sure enough, we were able to prove this year and validated with the national payer that in fact, of women who are diagnosed with breast cancer, 26% of them are under 50. So it was about how can we make this more inclusive, expanding it not only from an age demographic, but from an ethnicity demographic, because we all know how underserved other ethnic populations are, but specifically with breast cancer, Asian and Black women, they experiencing, experience a much later diagnosis at much later stages so that was always incredibly important. So that's the inclusivity side of the innovation. And then the third is the accuracy. I was working with these risk models on a day-to-day basis with clinicians, and it was incredibly fascinating to me that something that has a 60% accuracy can be in the medical guidelines and a standard of care to be used from a physician to assess a woman's risk. I was just like, 60%? That's barely better than flipping a coin. Yeah, it's so, not passing. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So um, I really wanted to make sure that we were far superior. Yeah. In terms of how do we educate women about their bodies, make them more informed, you know, in the research that we did, when a woman has a concern about her body, or a question, or a problem. The first place she goes is her mom, her sister, or her best friend. And I felt like there was something to that. If women, if part of our power is is our own personal network, that we go to one another for help, support, how can we leverage that to help and support women with their bodies? So that's what we see Gabby as, is we see Gabby as your mom, your sister, your best friend, whom you trust, who is backed by clinical expertise. So we are approaching everything through that lens and we can assess your personal risks. And we do that in a simple way, really to kind of dumb it down, is it's, it's an assessment. It's a questionnaire. You answer some questions. But along the way, we're educating you. So one of the questions, for example, is how old were you when you first started menstruating? And instead of just leaving it at that, when we did our user testing, every woman is like, why do I have to answer this question? I mean, I don't know. But as soon as we revealed right underneath, we need to know this because did you know the earlier you started your period, the more it could increase your risk for breast cancer. Now they learn something, they're invested, and because they relate to it, they're like, oh, what's the next question going to be? What is the next thing I'm going to learn? I want to know the answer. And I would just say that's a simple example of how we are educating women on their bodies. Interesting. Yeah, that, that that's awesome. Thanks for unpacking that. Yeah. And I imagine just kind of like if you're if – you're, Identifying people with higher risks maybe earlier and just getting that conversation started sooner, you know, the the only expert in the world on your body is going to be you or you're going to be your best 
you're going to know yourself best. So I think just um, the timing uh, factor of like, start that conversation earlier, get people aware earlier and educate them. That's, um, that's huge. Absolutely. No, you hit on something that's really crucial and that's the hit, you know, a physician who you see once a year for 15 minutes is not going to know your body better than you. And, and yet we defer to them to tell us what to do and to prescribe recommendations, suggestions, and care, even though at the end of the day, we know our body best. So how can we position ourselves to really be the expert on our body and have enough information, facts, clinical data to take action and when needed, go to your physician and say, hey, this is what I know. This is what I'm experiencing. I know these are my options. Will you do this with me? Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. It is. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that you raised capital this year. Um, congratulations. Um, what What were some of the major milestones, and, and you can include that one uh, that you've achieved uh, along your journey, and 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 where you stand today? Oh, um, major milestones. From a company perspective, I would say it was pivoting from selling to health systems to payers. I that, that was huge in what then catapulted us further. And as soon as we did that, it was landing a pilot with a national payer. Uh, and then the third one, I would say, was hiring my first employee with a salary. <laughs> That's more personal, but, you know, obviously company related. Oh, yeah. Um, it's big. It's big. Especially, yeah, oh, it's huge. Yeah. Especially since you were so, like, key and, um, I, well, you mentioned earlier, you know, you were kind of starting the company on your own, um, running around and uh, mm-hmm. doing a lot of it yourself. So I'm, I'm sure hiring your first employee was huge for you. It was. It was. What was the role that uh, that you brought him in for? What was the thing you couldn't do? I'm just curious. Our data scientist, our biomedical data scientist. Okay, seems like a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She and I have a running joke because she's had the opportunity to be in some of the investor meetings and obviously a lot of our customer meetings. And um, I, she's even commented, she's, Basically, I suggested something to our data scientists and they hadn't thought about it. And then that ended up being the way that we decided to move forward. And I know nothing about data scientists, uh, 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 data science, other than I know that we use it. No, I'm just kidding. But I by no means like am an expert on this. And so I made a suggestion. They hadn't thought about it. And that's the way we ended up building the model so there was a joke. I was like, I mean, I'm a data scientist. If I was able to determine this and she's like, okay, well then I'm going to take all the investor pitches and she does not like public speaking. She is, you know, very fact-based and it has to like have all her I's dotted and T's crossed. And so we just have this joke and I'm like, oh, can I be the data scientist today? And can you be the founder please? And she's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe someday you can invite me on your podcast. Are you a data scientist? I don't think I could say that I am. I think I missed that joke. A little bit. Moving on. Uh, tell us about metrics. So what's the most important North Star metric for you that kind of helps your company stay on course? 
I think that's hard to answer right now because, oh, another milestone was entering into procurement with that national payer that we did a pilot with. But because we essentially don't even have our first customer, we're not getting paid yet. That's a difficult thing to answer from like a growth perspective. But right now, so much is focused on our model and algorithm that I would say it's continuing to improve our AUC, our area under the curve, our sensitivity and our specificity. Got it. So the next question is, what are the biggest challenges you still need to address? You did just mention like getting that, was it pilot customer? You, you... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that might be the answer, but do you have any other, anything else to add there? Like what, what the biggest challenges ahead of you might be? So we already got that pilot customer. It's now, um, and we entered into procurement to turn it into a national contract, but that's a, it's a time thing. So um, biggest challenge right now, honestly, is we need a VP of engineering and compliance Mm, is getting ourselves compliant for this national rollout. Got it. Got it. Big challenges. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk. It's hard to hire engineers right now. Yeah, I know. Me and everyone else needs an engineer. Okay. Customers, how are you reaching your customers and what's your go-to-market strategy? The go-to-market strategy is around pilots. So starting with a pilot and getting access to their data, providing insights that are specific to them, and then entering into procurement and rolling out nationally. So that's basically what we've done with this last customer. And the way we're getting customers is all through my network. So, I mean, we're in an interesting position uh, in enterprise healthcare sales. You know, there really aren't that many health insurance companies that are big scale. So we don't have a ton of potential customers but they're all big. And so the way for us early on to establish credibility came from my days of meeting with everyone. And really it's like me tapping my network and then getting introductions to whoever the head of some business unit is that's in health insurance at someone we're targeting and to get a meet with them get them as an advocate. And then while they're internally shopping our solution around, I get anyone I know who knows people at that health insurance company to start buzzing around about Gabby. And I try and meet with as many people as possible. And the next thing you know is this person who's become an advocate for us is internalizing our solution. As they're doing that, they're hearing about me and Gabby from everyone. So we're top of mind and they're like, shoot, we, we better do something about this. We're hearing about this from everywhere. So that's been my strategy and it's been working really well. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I kind of hesitated when I asked the question just cause it's like such a different kind of model than kind of right. the typical businesses I'm used to talking to. How about the community? It, it seems like you've established a community. How is it integrated? Talk about that community and how it's integrated with the rest of your business. Sure. So um, we launched a community on Slack and that was when we were using our MVP and selling to the health systems. We've since paused that because it's going to be native to our application. 
and we're building out that aspect of it right now. But that's really the combination in our application of the AI and leveraging the fact that women turn to their sister, their mom, and their best friend. So we'll be grouping women in cohorts based off of their risks so that they can be going through their action plans together with other women who have similar risks and be able to share their learnings, their experiences, their findings, and support one another along the way. And we've already said how this is kind of a different business model than most, but how do you make money? Is it like a subscription model? Or, and, and that doesn't even really make sense, right? If it's one insurer. So yeah, can you tell me about that? So we um, sell to the insurance companies on a per member per year basis, as well as a per- we take a percentage of the annual cost savings that we provide. Cool. We got some good closing questions. So let's wrap this up. Caitlin, how have you grown as a leader and a motivator in your team and in this startup environment? Oh, that's a good question. I think I've really transitioned from high energy, blunt, uh, fast paced individual. And a lot of times it obviously serves me well as an entrepreneur, but a lot of times for the people I'm working with, it can scare them or drive them nuts. Or So I think what I've learned is that there's always going to be another fire. There's always going to be a problem and we're always going to have to solve it. But it doesn't mean that it is the problem that needs to be solved right now. Um, so I think that's probably one of those things is not every fire is a fire that needs to be put out immediately kind of thing. And because I'm like, I'm, I'm such an executor and fast mover that I want to solve it now. And that can, can be hard for, has been hard for some of the people I've worked with. Um, so I would say that's one of them. And then I think just the importance of, of people, including myself, feeling connected to the purpose and mission of what they're spending a lot of their time doing and being mindful that, um, you know, they're, they're giving me a, a huge amount of their time. We're giving each other a huge amount of our time and it's for a greater purpose. And at the end of the day, if we're moving that purpose forward, then we've all done our jobs. Yeah. Can I ask a follow up there? Like, how, how do you do that? You know, this, this, this issue is so personal to you. How do you, how do you manage to keep motivating the team when maybe they might not be as personally invested? Um, maybe you should ask them. Um, uh, I think I certainly have growth there for sure because I'm also in my bluntness. I'm like, it's a job. It needs to be done. Do it. But again, there's the growth that we're talking about, how I'm growing as a leader. I think it's, For me, it's just, I also have a big heart and really care about people. So for me, I do that by getting to know them, their kids' names, their partners' names, asking about them, their weekends, and not because it's a box to check off, but because I do really care. And a lot of times, I think before the growth, I I still cared, but I, I wouldn't go there because I was just work, work, work. And I think it's important to make sure that that that's addressed. And, you know, as we grow, 
I really want to be able to support team members in a holistic way. And so I, you know, what's happening in their life is obviously going to impact what's happening at Gabby. So supporting them outside of the workplace and inside the workplace, I think is really important and a, a silly example, um, not silly, but just a silly example of how I tried to do that was um, one of our employees, she lost a family member. And, um, you know, I decided to institute a, um, you know, if you need to take time off, take time off and you're getting paid your salary no matter what, as long as you get your work done, I don't care. Um, but also like, how can we support you in that time off? So you don't have to worry about things. And I want them to feel like they can always come to me and say, Hey, this is going on. I can't do this. And um, for them to trust that I'm not going to either try and go do it myself or trust that I trust them to get it done when they need to. And if we need to move something, then we'll have that conversation when we get there. But um, so again, going back to my employee who lost a family member, just sending her a care package and not necessarily flowers, whatever, but like a handwritten note that I was thinking about her and here's some tea and some chocolate and a puzzle and a movie. And when you're ready to come back, we can't wait to see you. But in the meantime, let us know if you need anything and take time for you and your family. What are some of the takeaways that you've gathered through this journey that, you, that you'd like to share maybe with, uh, with other entrepreneurs listening that might be starting their own businesses? Two things come to mind immediately. I think the first one is very specific to female entrepreneurs. Um, early on in my journey, I encountered women who, who were, whether they were other entrepreneurs or they were executives in whatever field, and a few of them were unwilling to either make introductions or kind of share their knowledge and expertise. And it was really frustrating to me. And I wanted to figure out why. And I started having some conversations with some other female founders. And the reality is that it used to be that there was only one seat at the table for a woman in a senior position or at an executive level. But that's changed now every seat could be filled with a woman and we have that opportunity and those strides are being made. And I think a lot of these women were operating from the place of, I've worked so hard to get this one seat. I can't give my seat away. But really the reality is now if one woman succeeds, we're all succeeding. So what I would say is to not be competitive, with your fellow female founders and entrepreneurs because we all go up together. And when she succeeds, you're succeeding. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. The second would be really get clear on who your circle of trust is. And circle of trust may be different people for different categories. You may have someone different for sales. You may have someone different for engineering. You may have someone different from an investor perspective, but you know, when the shit hits the fan or you're, especially in the early days, gosh, it was a flipping roller coaster of, of emotions. So you need to have those people who ground you because 
opinions are like asses. Everyone has one. And if you're going to listen to everyone's opinion, then you're not going to make it. So that's the other thing I would say is get very clear on the asses that you're going to listen to, basically. I think my water polo coach used to use that phrase. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, before we get out of here, uh, what's the best way for a listener to reach you and learn more about Gabby? Yeah. So you can fill out a form on our website. Um, there's kind of a contact us. Our website is bgabby, B as in boy, E-G-A-B-B-I.com. Feel free to send me an email as well. Caitlin, K-A-I-T-L-I-N at bgabby.com. And then on Twitter, I'm the KK Christine. So any of those ways are a great way to reach out. Awesome. I'll have to throw you a follow. All right. Yeah. We're going to end the show there. Um, if you liked our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating. Caitlin, thank you for joining the show today. We appreciate you sharing your story and our listeners appreciate it too. So thank you. Thank you.